evening, everyone. Let everyone come into the into the room. We have a very good guest with us this evening. Um, come, uh, we'll get the people to come on in. Yep. And remember, folks, if uh, Q and A's through the chat. Uh, this is going to be good tonight because Sarah, um, and the way I, and Sarah's going to tell more about her story, but the way I envision Sarah is she connects the dots together and she puts the people in touch with the, you know, the, the producers in touch with the supplier or the farmers in touch with the, the processor or, or whatever the case may be. So this is where there sometimes becomes gray area because we seem to think we know what the consumer wants and we seem to think we know what how the farmer can do it, but how we get everybody in the middle, you know, to go. So that's kind of what we've got Sarah on tonight. Um, Sarah, thanks for thanks for joining us. How you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. This is an honor. Love well, thank you. Thank you very much. Now, Sarah, I am going to start the way I start everyone and it's I, I giddy up. Let's go. We're ready to go. Now I'm going to ask you the first question I ask everyone, Sarah, and 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 again, folks, Sarah and I have not talked. Uh, this is the way I want to do this. This is live. It's transparent, and I want this to just flow. So, uh, here's my first question, Sarah. What what is on your mind right now? It could be anything. What, what are you thinking about right now? What what have, what's really always coming to the forefront? Mm. Uh, well. Uh, broadly speaking, I will say in my work is the is the gap between farmers and the funding side of things, and we can probably get into that later. Mm -hmm. um, more specifically, today I've been working on a follow up piece to um, an event I was at last week that you were also at, um, and it's really reflecting on this idea of shifts. Um, we went through a lot of presentations last week, and everybody that spoke was talking about shifts, like a certain way of sh shifting the way they think about things or the way they approach yeah. something. Weeds. Um, like, how do you think about weeds? How do you think about cattle? How do you, uh, and, and of course, Rick, yours, how do you think about failure? There's no such thing as fail failure. Um, no. So I came home with all this. These are all the like shifts in mindset that farmers are being asked to do when they do regenerative. Who, what other shifts do we need in the system um, from other folks in there thinking funders and elsewhere? So today I've been reflecting on that, trying to put a piece together for that. Yeah, well, that's good. Um, you know, it's amazing how, how the the regenerative movement just it's kind of like a an enigma i mean it just it just moves and transforms and goes somewhere else and then and then you know like this shift thing you're talking about and and the more you talk about this i'm, I'm thinking to myself yeah you know i i never thought about it but as i'm sitting there listening to the speakers talk i i'm i'm, I'm with you i know exactly what you're talking about mm -hmm. yeah it was really interesting uh but it made me it made me think about something we talk about a lot more in work that I do, which is as we talk about transitioning to regenerative, we're talking about farmers taking on a lot of risk. Um, and and we always talk about from the funding side, how do we how do we have funders take on some of that risk or um, help alleviate some of that risk? And then I was thinking as I was listening to this, like, are we also asking farmers to take on all of the mindset shifting? You know, like how can we get others in the system? system to shift their mindset as well and think about the system differently so that we're meeting in the middle. Yeah. Um, so I haven't fully fleshed it out, but that's where my mind has been going. Yeah. So folks, we're, we're with Sarah De La Vesque this evening. Um, Sarah has worn many hats uh, in her career. Sarah, let's go back. Um, let's go back in time a little bit. Um, 
have you always been in the regenerative space uh, or, okay, so where, take us to before the regenerative space and what were you doing? I think it was media, I believe. It was, yeah. And I'll take you a little bit before that, which is um, I grew up like a little hippie wanting to save the world. And when I got to college, I realized agriculture was the way I wanted to do that. I grew up in Davis, California, which is a college wow. town but surrounded by agriculture. So I didn't grow up on a farm, but surrounded by it. Um, what was that like? What was that like growing up in Davis? Uh, I loved it. Uh, some might say it was sheltered a little bit. Uh, so, but it was it was great, and I didn't realize I think the impact it had until when I got to college, and I was like, yeah, this agriculture stuff really resonates with me. Yeah. Um, I worked on a, the farm there, took some agronomy courses, and said, oh, I do not have what it takes to be a farmer. Uh, but I loved ag economics, and so that's where I engaged. Um. When I got out of grad school, I joined a consultancy, and so it was mainstream, conventional agriculture, agribusiness, not what I thought I would do. I just got done doing my thesis work in Kenya, working with small-scale milk traders, hoping oh, wow. I could save the world there, and then you know, went into something a little more mainstream. Uh, but that that business turned into a media business, working on events and newsletters and connecting people uh, between ag commodity markets, ag tech, and conventional ag investing. Um, so I spent 10 years working in that space, great connections, great people, uh, very interesting work. Um, yeah. But it was nothing to do really with the regenerative space. And regenerative wasn't even a term I knew at that right. point. Right, right. Uh, so we started something called the Organic and Non-GMO Forum. So that was my first like stepping in towards a, a less extractive form of agriculture. Uh, and then I, I hit like a 10-year mark with that company and I was ready to do something different and get into an impactful part of the world. That, but your timing there was good though. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but that the non-GMO was really pushing right then. I mean, we were shift our farm personally, we were shifting out of, of GMOs back to non-GMOs. Uh, you know, I'm talking, um, uh, what, 2013, 12, 13, 14 timeframe. So, yeah. So that, that push was there and the markets were created. I mean, we were getting $2 plus premiums for non-GMO soybeans. Mm -hmm. So your timing was good. Yeah, it was it was great. And we could see it growing. Uh, and I think there was internally, it was kind of like, you know, from a business perspective, which do we pursue the the grow smaller growing market or stay with the big stuff? Yeah. Um, and I don't think I left saying like, I want to get into the organic non GMO space. I just knew I wanted to be in a more impactful part of it. And what I ended up doing was um, joining the company that purchased Acres USA. Uh, which is, for those who don't know, it's a 51-year-old uh, company that's been focused on educating farmers on ecological agriculture. Uh, so they have a magazine, we have a books that we publish, and also we do events. So um, this company, this parent company just purchased Acres. They brought me on to be their uh, head of events and media and also said, build something else within our ag division. It doesn't have outside of Acres, like build something yeah. else, anything you want. And so that was the highlight for me was getting to one, start to work with producers who were, do, were handling land a little bit differently than I had experienced and then also build something completely new. Uh, so uh, spent about a year or two with Acres and I'm still still working with them. But after about a year or two, I was just looking at 
this space and having come from 10 years working with investors uh, who were funding conventional farmland and ag tech, I'd seen right. all this capital coming into the space. And then I started working in the acres community. And I was like, where, where's all the capital and why isn't it being like funneled to this part of agriculture? Um, and so with that recognition and just uh, a passion for like this idea that capital can make change and to do move mountains, basically, um, yeah. I started regenerative food systems investment. Um, yeah, RFSI. Yeah, RFSI. Much, much, much easier to say that. Yes. So, is this what I would call green money? Uh, money that wants to um, be put to work with with the the regenerative movement and some. Is that what I call green money? Yeah, you could call it green money. I think there's a lot of different uh, ways you could call it. Um, impact capital. Uh, there's just a, a lot of phil it's philanthropic. It's not all philanthropic, but it's it's folks and organizations that really feel like they can do more with their capital than just get returns. Doesn't mean some of them don't still want returns, but it yeah. means you can also uh, be more impactful with it. So, <laughs> all right. So let's uh, let's just stay right here at our at RFSI for a minute. So. Would you have okay? Okay, so I'm a I'm a grower that is trying to transition, and I need some financial help getting through the three years to get to where I want to be. I I find you, Sarah. How can you help me? Is this is this the questions you get on a day to day basis? We do get them, and we work. Uh, we started out much more higher level, just kind of like let's bring the whole community together and let oh. everybody find those synergies. So, and we have. Um, an expansive community within this little niche. Uh, so first I'll explain that and then I'll go back to your specific question, um, yeah. which is we're bringing all kinds of funders, people uh, and organizations who will fund at the farm level. Um, but our goal really was to say like, if you want to farm a funder, if you want to pr uh, promote the growth of regenerative food systems you or regenerative agriculture, you also need to fund the system around them. So we also bring funders who are like, oh, I'll, I'll fund the supply chain. I'll fund the tools and technology and services oh. that will help the farmer and the CPG companies. So there's all these different funders with all this different kind of capital. And then there's all these different kinds of projects, including farmers. So our goal is to bring them together and help them find each other um, with the right kind of capital. So right project with right capital there's not not all capital works for all projects and vice versa. Um, okay, so you've got multiple investors here that may or may not know each other, and you've got them all coming together for a certain project that 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 you hope is from farmer all the way to uh, uh, processing and, and retail shelf. Then, right? Yeah, there's potential for that, and there's. Yeah. Yeah. So first we just bring them together uh, and in much larger groups, not for specific projects. Then we curate them into smaller groups. For so how, so talk, I'll talk me through this then. I mean, you, you, you actually have a meeting where, and let's say it's, it's two philanthropic organizations and, an, and, and, and a high net worth individual. Let's mm -hmm. say you've got those three types of people at the table that you've got a meeting and, you, and you're all to, sitting at the same table. We're working towards that step. So there are organizations that we work with that do that. So uh, we bring people together in a large like event gathering space with curated, like maybe smaller meetings within okay. those. Uh, okay. And then we we actually, so we don't have like the licenses to do that kind of curated work um, brokerage, but we're moving towards creating services that can help do that in a more um, customized way. Okay. Uh, and honestly, we do a lot of that just as the, in the background kind of, Here's like they know that we know these people. How can we connect them? Right. And 
still and, and sometimes that's all it takes just the the introduction and 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 you guys take it from there or yeah. or gals yeah so so acres is does that is that it's a c r e s like a field acre in a field but is that an acronym for something also or is it just acres acres usa yeah okay okay so talk tell us about acres what what does uh, what does what's acres focus and 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 what are you doing there yeah i mean i think the the broad focus is we are trying to help farmers find the tools and the education to move away from an extractive form of agriculture um and uh, we have a huge community and a long history of doing that it was founded by charles walters uh, and he really was bringing in this idea that um, you can't actually uh you have to be economical and ecological together like they are they go hand in hand uh, so uh, we focus a lot on that, which is here are the practices. We like to say we're like the 201 courses. We go really in depth. And you know that because yeah. you've spoken at our conferences and you do that. Yeah. Uh, but we we try to go into the nitty gritty of, of how you get that done, how you manage soil health and and how you manage plant health. Yeah, it um, it's a different spin on uh, it's it's way different than conventional farming. And and I've been to several of your events and what I've noticed about your events is you, you've, you're very good at bringing a, a, a large farmer base to the, to the conference. You know, you might have 300 people there and 220 of them are farmers and that, that's what you want. And, and those farmers are all eager and hungry for change. And, and how do we, uh, you know, how do we move off of, off of our current system? And that, that's what I like about it. Um, We've got a question here from from Ethan. I believe Ethan is in Texas. Um, thank you so much for your in depth discussion on the organization of the chain that we rely on. Uh, so we're back to uh, RFSI here. Which organizations or groups do you see donating or looking to join more readily in the past two years? I'm personally seeing more alcohol chains starting regenerative farms or donating to the causes in texas oh i'm sorry ethan i'm not sure where you're from i i saw texas i'm sorry mm -hmm. so okay. did you get did you get you want me to go through that again or do you have it yeah i have it so which organization austin texas oh, okay <laughs> austin, great, great. Um, actually acres usa was in austin texas for most of our life except for the last six years so just a side note on that um so which groups and organizations are coming into the food system uh the regenerative food system yeah. Gosh, uh, i mean i think a lot of us see that a ton are from all over the place i would say uh, I haven't experienced here that, and I'm in Colorado, but, um, in the work that we've done, I haven't seen a ton of alcohol chains, but definitely food companies. And, and honestly, when you ask me what I'm thinking about right now, I'm thinking about that too. Like when we have the corporates coming in and thinking about more thinking about, uh, regenerative supply chains. Um, so they're definitely showing more interest. Uh, and then I look at it primarily at capital groups coming in. So who are those folks? And that is anywhere from venture capitalists who are um, really devoted, their thesis is devoted to regenerative food systems, uh, to people who are peeking over the fence that say, oh, I might be able to have a good deal here. Um, and then a, um, a, lot, a lot of impact investors looking over this way and, and private investors looking in. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, today, Sarah, I, I got invited to um, uh, speak in, in Phoenix, Arizona at the uh, Sustainable Agricultural Summit. And there was a very good question during my presentation. 
Um, what are we gonna? How how are we gonna? How are we gonna make sure that that let's say a, a large food company? I don't want to mention any names. But let's say a large food company wants to create a product <laughs> that is going to use let's just say a Kernza, okay, specially type grain, not grown a lot. But how do they take something like that to the masses, and how can they guarantee that there's going to be enough acres of that specialty type product grown? I mean, these are these are great questions. So, what? How would you? How would you handle that? Oh gosh, uh, <laughs> we actually covered Kernza in one of our prior events a few years ago. Uh, I. I don't know. I mean, I think that's one of the questions that we're grappling with, right? Is uh, the the feedback I've had at events is why are why are we why are corporates only focusing on one product and one supply chain? Why aren't they doing all of them? And I think the complexity of just dealing with Kernza and bringing that to market is why we're seeing corporates take it slowly, like supply chain by wow. supply chain. Yeah. Um, so I don't have the answer to that. <laughs> Do yeah, you? What did you say when they asked you that? Well, I mean, it's a great question because. And you're, you got to think about, I mean, I don't know how companies, I don't know how their processing plants work. I'm sure there's hundreds of people involved. There's all kinds of things you've got to change. I mean, you just don't tomorrow decide you're going to process Kernza. So right. I, it's a very difficult question. And and it's almost like putting the, the cart in front of the horse because if you don't have that farmer base to supply that product, then, you, you know, you're already stepping, you know, one step forward, two steps back type thing. Yeah, that's interesting. So I had some conversations last week with um, his name is Tim Corney. I don't know if you met him, but he's yeah. um, in Springs Mills. Uh, but, you know, we've we keep talking about RFSI and the people we work with and the farmers like we have to build the supply chain so the farmers will transition. And I keep thinking like we're asking farmers to transition without the supply chain being there. And he really changed my thinking. Um, this is some of that mindset shift. Right. Um, he really said like we really just need to build the supply chains and then ask farmers to transition because if it's not there already yeah. and those are the logistics we have to think about right is if it needs to be segmented processing away from conventionally produced goods if it needs different processing equipment that all takes a lot of investment and oh. building that consumer market and the, the brand that's going to put bring it to market oh yeah there's a lot of complexity there yeah i mean you, you know i uh, we've got uh, ethan's got a, another question we'll get to in just a second but but you know, I think of the same thing, Sarah. Like, like uh, um, you know, non-GMO and GMO. These these plants have to separate that. Yeah. Or or gluten-free. I mean, mm -hmm. my gosh, that's the top. Gluten-free or anything that has to do with allergens. Mm -hmm. um, so the complexity here. I sometimes I sometimes you take things a little for granted, but when mm -hmm. you stop and think about the processes that have to change to do some of these things, it's asking a lot of that well, company. It's so true. And it's actually, that it brings me back to the investor because we've spent a lot of time and I spoke about this the last few weeks, talking about there's this big gap between farmers and investor funders um, in like lexicon and language and understanding each other's experiences and perspectives. Yeah. But then I thought about that again, listening to Tim and 
like there's there's not just at the farmer level, but every part of the supply chain, we have to make sure that funders who are coming in and looking to invest in a truly regenerative system understand the complexity of it's not not a processor as a processor a processor. It's they're all they have to have separate specializations um, beyond that. So there's so much education that has to go on there, and that's that's really where our facade tries to play a role. Is how can we fill these gaps so we can bring these people closer together so they actually can start doing business and and capital can start flowing to our space. Yeah. Oh my! It's gonna. It's gonna it, it, to orchestrate the uh, the concert here is going to be uh, challenging. You know, there there's so many layers. So many. I I have to say, um, for those of you listening, Rick and I actually had the same flight out of Spokane last week, uh, and so we were sitting talking about policy um, and talking. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Rick had just testified and. Uh, we were talking about policy and I got I got after that conversation, I, I was feeling the same way. I was like, oh, the work, the work that has to be done and the things yeah. that need to be put together and it all needs to happen. But it's just going to take a lot of a lot. Well, of and now the the House of Representatives flipped. So the, the, the gentleman who was pushing the regenerative is no longer going to be the chair, probably. So now you have a a different person in the chair and now you've got to pretty much start all over again. So it's just, you know, and and you and Sarah, you, you're going to reach a point here where we've got to decide what does success look like? OK, because you're not going to reach everybody. You know, if you think that, then you're naive about this whole thing. You know, you're not going to reach everybody. So what's it look like? What's I think success looks like 25, 30 percent. You know, if you could get that those kind of numbers to move, then I think you would get the masses to say, well, guys, you got, you got 30 million acres doing this. OK, right. let's, let, let's pay attention now. Right. And then it becomes more natural uh, to look at this as an opportunity versus feeling like, wow, I'm going to have to be the lead here and take the risk without right. the system. I, I agree. And I do think that that is success like right now. And and our bar for success can keep moving as we as yeah. we get oh, yeah. but for right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, OK. Ethan's got one more question. If you got time, we've got time, Ethan. Have you seen Elm Dirt from New York? I'm not sure what. What I, don't, I don't think to. I know them. I, I, I don't yeah, know I don't what know this them. is. The Corporate Regenerative Additive Compost Tea uh, and other companies that are making more regenerative marketing products to be widespread. What are your concerns and hopes for this growing market? Uh, are you talking about uh, in specifically like farm input markets, like additive markets, or uh, also like end products? Uh, yeah, let, let's see if he well, wants to come back. I, I'm going to guess he's referring to the microbial market, you know, um, mm. lack of a better term, bugs in a jug. Yeah. I'm assuming that's what he's referring to. Um, but what, I don't know who uh, Elm Dirt is. I, I don't know. Uh, yes, yeah, soil and liquids, mainly the additives. Uh, so what do you think about that? I mean, I think there's huge opportunity there. Uh, obviously, we're seeing that funded, that in the biologicals market. Um, and... I mean, I think there's differentiation between those, but I don't know all the technicalities. But my one concern just about biologicals in general is um, when is the cost going to come down so that it helps yeah. with the economics, which Rick would know way more about, I think. Um, and I would love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, well, I, I, 
I'd be honest with you. I've not done a lot of biologicals yet. I've been, I've been stubborn. I'm a very stubborn person. Just ask Carol, my wife, she'll tell you. But, um, and, and I've, I've probably made a mistake. Um, so what I tell people now is when you want to shift to regenerative and you want to get away from high tillage, high, high fertility, high chemistry, you need to find a reputable biological company and you need to get a, a system of biologicals in place with your regenerative uh, systems that you're going to have in place. I did not do that. And I feel like it probably slowed us down a little bit. But and what I mean by slowing us down is it slowed down in stimulating and waking that biology back up because they've been on vacation for 150 years because they haven't had anything to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we have the biology on our farm. We just need to figure out how to turn more of it on and figure out how to how to stimulate more of it. And and that's where I think we're at and and get get our system headed back a little bit. I think I'm a little bit out of balance because I'm fighting foxtail right now. And I think it's because I'm out of balance somewhere and we've got to get we've got to get back in balance. So, but you're right. Uh, the cost is pretty expensive. I mean, some of these packages are a hundred, hundred dollars an acre plus. And when you move that across a lot of acres multiple times, that gets expensive. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's still, there's still a net benefit, right? I would assume from that because of the biology that you're building and, you know, even if economically it's the same, you're not, you're not necessarily reducing your input costs. But the question that I, I come at the way I come at it from, and this is not being a farmer is, um, is there a point, I guess, where we don't, and you've proven that there is, but is there a point where we don't need that? You can use the biologicals as a transition, and then we get to this point where we don't need it. Um, so we yeah. are cutting input costs and also not having to rely on those. Um... Yeah, and I'm going to tell you, I, I don't, I, I don't sell anything. I don't get paid to talk about anything, but I try to give out my opinion on information I think is useful to other people, and I'm going to give it to you right now. Uh, again, I don't get any benefit from this, but John Kempf and his company, AEA, I've met John several times, and John has never tried to sell me the first product. And John would be the first to admit in our conversations that start with a biological program, and hopefully in three or four years, you don't need to see me anymore, and you won't buy any more products from me. I mean, that's a beautiful approach. That's the right attitude. And that's and that's what you're talking about, sir. That's wouldn't that be so refreshing if there were more companies that did that type of approach? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the the conventional input um, chemical com- companies coming into the space and creating biological arms to their business, I get why they're doing yeah. it. it. It still could be net positive, especially if they can boom all their business to there in an ideal world. Um, but it's also like, are your motivations the same as the ones you just voiced from, say, John Kent? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you just sparked a thought on that one. I, I remember a, 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 one of the big seed companies having a promotion and they were going to put the full blown seed treatment package on their seed, which which consisted of insecticide. That was one of the things. And for another ten dollars, we'll go ahead and throw a biological package in there, too. Now I'm thinking, now wait a minute, you're going to put a biological package in a seed coat that's got insecticide in it. Now, something tells me that you're not going to have much biology left 
when that seed hits the, the ground. Right. But, just... but it's like it's like when you go to the farmer's market and you can buy non-GMO blueberries or you go to the store and buy non that, that there are no GMO blueberries. They're mm -hmm. all non-GMO. Mm -hmm. That's just good marketing. They do that with the like naturally gluten-free food products too, right? Like yeah. it's gluten-free, but like wait, yeah. 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 Well, let, let me go back here just a just a little bit back. Uh, uh, Michael had a comment when I said what does success look like, and he he is replying. Twelve percent is the tipping point in any social change. Yeah, and and I think we agree with that. So I think I think if you know. We a lot of times we talk about the the farmers that need to voice this message, the ones who are doing this at scale. But now you got to think about we've got to get acres to move now, and and I don't mean the company acres. I mean acres of land to move, so that every other farmer can then say, "Wow, okay, all of a sudden." nobody was doing this but now we've got 20 million acres doing it that's what needs to happen right i, I agree and at scale is the is the situation so that there for me i feel like there's a big perception that regenerative is only a small um yeah. to medium scale opportunity and so getting some of those large scale having you out there telling everybody what you're doing is amazingly helpful and we just need more and more folks doing that yeah. Uh, set the example and show viability economically and ecologically. Well, and there's more and more folks pop up all the time because that's what I love about about the folks in this movement. We're all very um, ingrained in the success of this. We're all willing to to open up our heart and our soul and pour it all out on the on the stage or whatever the platform is. And and I probably don't do enough of this, but. We talk about the the outcomes we didn't expect. I don't like to use the word failure. It's it's outcomes we didn't expect. I probably need to have a whole session on just that, and mm -hmm. and that alone would be beneficial, um, you know, and and could take three or four years off of the learning curve of somebody just because I could help to give out those things that don't yeah. work, you know. Hear those lessons now, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Over some of the least, so, yeah. We've Absolutely. got uh, Ed Bourgeois. Ed's on every week. Ed, how you doing tonight? Uh, thanks for being on. A uh, great topic. Do you think there is future potential for funding regenerative food systems infrastructure by the new refi regenerative finance movement? Ed's on top of this. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's mostly young folks in finance who support ecosystems and region ag and food that's 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 excellent ed what do you what do you think sarah yeah absolutely absolutely i think um in funding regenerative food systems yeah infrastructure for sure and i think even without uh that specific um movement like COVID has definitely shifted the focus to that infrastructure for sure. Um, so yeah, absolutely. There's a couple funds who have just popped up who are dedicated specifically to that. Um, I will say again, I, most of them are focused on very small scale um, operations. Uh, so I think I would like to see it grow to how can we fund a little bit larger scale um, infrastructure operations. Um, and I'd say the other 
not not just the what do you say refi regenerative finance movement it's the climate the climate tech and the climate folks are all starting to peek over the fence and say okay we see the connection between yeah. regenerative production and climate like let's get these folks involved um and so there i think there's opportunity for capital to come from that a lot of capital to come from that space too yeah and see i thought about this i think I, i've got a lot of time to think you know i'm in a tractor or i'm or somewhere by myself um, and and if you think about the, and I don't, I hate using this term or the, the I don't like carbon markets. I've got to come up with a different, because I don't like that. But anyway, we're, we're going to use it because we all know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But when you think about uh, building soil health and being regenerative, and then you think about what the carbon markets are going to require, it's exactly the same thing. The carbon market is going to have to be built around the, the six principles of soil health, or at least four of them them and 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 then be built around a regenerative model i mean they're going to go hand in hand right and you and i have spoke briefly about this before and i totally get that i think what i what i like to think about and i don't know if this is what you've thought about for is ecosystems market so what i'd like to see is cut the carbon tunnel vision and let's say like because no. because that's what the regenerative system is in the practices are going to do is create all these ecosystem services so if we're going to go to a market where we we are going to compensate for building ecosystem services let's account for more than just carbon now the flip of that, which I've heard from folks who have um, participated in our carbon conversations is, yes, we get that. We're totally on board with that. We're going to use carbon as the proxy for right now, and yeah. then we'll expand out. So I get that. Like it, it's the pilot, you could say, but it is a bit frustrating to focus completely on carbon, 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 and not think about let's move broader behind that and not just measure one thing. Yeah. And, and, I, and I hope that I truly hope that that is the way the movement is going to head because you're right, it is tunnel vision. Um, I wish it never would have been would have been brought to the market as a, a carbon market. Uh, there's so many other ways they could have taken this, but maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's starting to shift and and will be more of what. See, I've always I've always preached on the concept of soil health. Let's get a soil health score that translates to a carbon credit because there's this new word that seems to be like be invented. I don't think it's new, but it was new to this, this arena. And the word is additionality. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's been playing the game can't play ball because you are not going to change anything. Well, I'm sorry, but that's just not right. But if we had a soil health score that equated over to a, a tons per acre of carbon, <laughs> then everyone can play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I want. That's what I think we need to be that type of a, and it's got to be regionalized. You cannot expect the I states to have the same uh, structure that, that New Mexico is going to have. It's just not it's not fair and it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. And I think we talked about this actually last week as well. And I love that because you have to do that with regenerative. How do you translate that to the commercial scale? I mean, do we get companies then in investing? I'm not saying we want them, but if, do we get them investing in these markets if they're regionalized markets? Like how do we, I don't know how that grows. See, that makes sense though, if you think about it, because let's think about um, a company that makes cereal that is focused on regeneratively uh, grown wheat. Okay. 
wheat primarily is in the in the plains and for the most part but i mean we can grow it in indiana and illinois but for the most part it's in the plains and so then that's where you have one of your regions set up and you have a mentor that is in charge of that region and they're in charge of the correct teaching tools to help the farmers become a regenerative type farmer see i mean i see a body of people maybe four or five people maybe you're one of those four or five that are in charge of the whole thing and then you break it down to these regions Mm -hmm. because uh, as much as I'd love to go to Mississippi and help folks raise rice, I don't know anything about rice. So you don't yeah. want to get advice from me. And and so first I'd argue that I bet everybody wants to get advice from you because you have so much wealth of knowledge to share. But we we it's it's I wonder if this is part of the progression of regenerative, right? Is like we yeah. we have we have the Rick Clarks and the John Kemps and uh, their principles. Those principles all need to be shared. And as we develop as a sector, we need more and more specificity. So those we have, we can get more refined and more niche. So hopefully we are growing. We're on the track right now to grow to that point soon where we get that specificity and that regional support. Um, And and if you think about it, if you go tonight when we're done, I want you to think about this because I, I need someone to tell me this won't work. But if you think about what I just said, as far as regenerative farming is concerned, and then move over and for again, lack of a better word, think about carbon markets, it's the same thing. You cannot expect a person in Iowa to receive this, or I'm sorry, a person in New Mexico to receive the same benefits as a person in Iowa because the inherent soil is so different. Okay, that makes complete sense now. I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying now, for sure. Yeah, so that I think you then start to get a parallel of all of a sudden, when one happens, the other's going to happen now. That's the way I see this. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Um, Michael has a, con- my concern about biologicals and other substitutions is a message about input shifting from conventional. The core is soil health, which is your main concentration. These inputs are supplements, not core growing practices. I agree, totally agree. But I think, uh, and I'll let, I'll, I should not, I'll let, I should have not gone first, but I'll let Sarah give her two cents her worth too. I totally agree with you, but my point was in the systems of high tillage, high fertility, high chemistry, the microbial community has gone to sleep. It's there, but it's almost non-existent. I think the addition of a biological package helps you turn everything on and get going. And then in two or three years, you pull that away and your system is running on its own. That's that's kind of what I meant by that. Yeah. And I will say to Michael that I felt the same way, especially as I started working more and more with acres and was saying like, oh, are we just transferring this over to biologicals? But um, I think there's a role to play. It's like a transition tool, kind of like we think about finance tools, like how do we get you through that three year period where you're not it's that supplemental period. Um, And I think about that, too, when people ask me what role for venture capital in regenerative. And I think in a way, it's also filling this gap of we need technologies that will support the farmer through transition into different practices. And we need to fund those as well. A little bit of a stretch there. But, um, yeah, I think it's a gap to fill in transition. Yeah, and you know, I I've got this in my mind here, this regionalized thing, and I'm just thinking more about this. That now, now 
you can actually get folks, and I don't know if, and and, and, again, I don't know if this matters. I'm sure it's going to do some people, but if you've got a high net worth individual or a philanthropic organization that's in a certain region, they're going to probably want to keep their money in that region. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the Chesapeake Bay region, like well-funded for, yeah. So you see, this all starts to begin to make some, some big time scalable sense. Yeah, and I was thinking that as you were saying that as well, by the same token of like you get the carbon markets, but then you also, you know, the weed example, you also make sure the processing is there. And then you have the investors that are more willing to invest in an asset in their own community or in their own region to build that out. So, yeah, yeah, regionality is a huge part of this, I think. Yeah, and and again, within that region, you've got your experts there that know what processing facilities you need. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about processing wheat. So I shouldn't be the one advising on that, but there is someone in Kansas or <laughs> Oklahoma or wherever that would know how to do that. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. All right, Lou Mila's on, another longtime listener from uh, Ukraine. Uh, homebrew biofertilizers are pushing out commercial bugs in a jug off the markets in South America, Australia, South Africa, and are gaining popularity in Europe. Nine out of 10 biologicals tested in Australia were non-viable. How about that? How about that? So basically, I think what Lou Mile is telling us is that uh, most of the stuff on the shelf is dead. Yeah, and this is where the same thing as greenwashing, we're going to have credibility issues with biological products. That's right. Uh, And the tools are exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, that is exactly right. Um, I don't know, Lou, Myla, I, I, I don't know how we overcome these types of, I mean, every time the, the markets rally, and when I, when I say the markets rally, I mean on the Chicago Board of Trade, corn rallies, soybeans rally, wheat rallies, when these markets rally higher, everyone in the ag sector thinks they can raise prices and try to push everything to market they possibly can because the farmers got all this extra money to spend on this. And this is what happens. This is exactly what happens. And then the farmer gets that bad taste in their mouth and they will never come back. And that's my fear with cover crops. We have to make sure the education is in place and then we have to make sure the support is in place to help those folks when they've got 10 questions on how to do this. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, so uh, I'm sorry, I've babbled babbled long enough here. So, um, so, so Sarah, what do you think about the few, what do you think about the the regenerative movement? You've you've been in this space a while now. Uh, Is this, are, are we hopeful here? Is this alive, breathing? Is it is it good? Uh, just from the last few years, it's alive and breathing and thriving. Um, you know, counter that with the fact that like we have a long ways to go. And as you continue to work through how we do this, like it becomes more and more complex. And so maybe part of the shifting we need all need to do, and I know the folks listening already uh, already have done that, but is just shifting the um our attitudes to embrace complexity you know yeah. and i think that's needed throughout the system like it's 
none of it's going to be super easy, but it's just so necessary. And the impacts we can get from it, the positive outcomes we can get are just, I mean, you, you know, all these, it's not just ecology. It's not just our farm economics. It's, it's human health and nutrition. It's, it's climate. Like, yeah, we just have to, um, and not, that's not even to be a doomsdayer because I think we'll do it. And I think we're on the right track, but embrace complexity <laughs> and no, yeah. there's no failure, right, Rick? That's right. Just outcomes we didn't expect, and then we learn from them and move on. Um, I've got to, uh, Michael, I've got to ask you a question. You said that discussion is going on now at USDA. You mean the discussion about the regionalized uh, that we were talking about? Is that what you're referring to? I'll wait for his comeback. Ed Bourgeois says the Regen Network is focused on echo credits. I like that idea. I like that. There's so many good ideas out there. And and I guess here's the other thing too, Sarah, and and maybe, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, and and I, I've been corrected on this when I make this statement, and, and I get it, I do get it, but there's not a definition for regenerative farming yet, at least as oh. far as I know, yeah. okay, yeah. that is accepted from all the way across the food chain, from producer to consumer and everybody in the middle. Now, people come back to me and say, Rick, we don't want that yet because you don't want to exclude something we haven't thought of yet or or figured out how to to solve yet. And I understand that. But Sarah, when I look at this, I look at this as the day is coming where the someone's going to say, show me the proof. We, we need where, where's your scale on this? Where, where's the scalability? Mm-hmm. And if we don't know what the definition is, how do we know where we're all headed? So what do you think? Uh, One, I think this is one of the hardest topics in our space. Uh, And I will say I started out saying I don't want any more confusion. Like why put a definition? Don't have a label, whatever. It's it's just too complex. It's one more to confuse people. But the more I've been in the space, the more I realize a couple things. One, we don't have a definition. Then that is a crutch for people who don't want to support regenerative to say like, it doesn't even have a definition. I'm not going to acknowledge it as a credible opportunity. So seeing that increasingly. Um, And then two, uh, you know, I think about once it leaves the farm gate, like how are we going to expect um, the regen food companies to get a premium um, and continue to purchase from regenerative supply chains if they can't, if they, if they can't say why or how this is regenerative. So I think Having a definition yeah. they can communicate to consumers would be helpful. And when you get to the how, how we do it, um, I don't, I mean, we have to balance that, right? Like it can't be so strict that we're exclusionary, but there has to be some guardrails so we can actually, like you said, measure that it actually is something and try to prevent against greenwashing. So it's it's so hard. <sighs> it's going to be very difficult. And then you're going to have, I don't know how many people are going to come out of the woodwork from around the world are going to want to be the one in charge, you know, and and, and it's going to be this. I mean, I think if you sit down and just truly start listing everything that has to fall into place, it's going to be a mighty long list. I'm I'm not trying to be a downer here. I'm just trying to be realistic and and there's a lot of work a lot of work to do yeah and i just hope that the momentum subside here and and start to we start to lose traction is what i hope right and so far i mean so yeah i feel like wow this is so down so i hope everybody listening is like no it's okay we still have hope because i do like there's so much momentum but uh, we just got to keep we got to keep maybe it's again what is success and success is 
maybe it's not having a full definition right now, but it's working our way towards it. Um, uh, I had a, oh, I have a question for you, but maybe okay. we'll do some audience questions, but I'll save it, but it was on that topic. Well, no, go ahead. You're all right. Okay. Go ahead. I, I, and maybe, so I think of all of the new regen certifications and labels yeah. coming out. Yeah. Um, and pathways verification programs. Um, and I'm not, you don't need to advocate for one of them, but I know you're organic, you're certified organic, but like, as we think about putting a definition on it, there's all these out there. You're a farmer. How, like, how do you think about those? Like, do you, well, do you think you'll embrace a region certification at some point or verification program? Maybe. Or? Um, I'm not sure. I guess, I guess, if I was to do it at this point, it, it really wouldn't benefit me other than to see if the farm is going to pass the test. Mm -hmm. um, I have no buyer that is asking for for that yeah. uh, cert certification. I have no buyer that's willing to pay for that cert, you know, pay a premium for that yeah. certification. So I guess to answer your question, I would probably toss a couple of fields in just to see if they would pass. I assume they would. I don't know why yeah. they wouldn't. But that would be the only reason why I would do it now. Um, but I, I'm hopeful that that day will come when when a major food company is going to say, okay, we now have a program that if you would raise whatever uh, and you have this certification, we will pay you a premium. Yeah. And I, that day's coming. It's coming. Yeah. I was just going to say, I haven't thought of it, but I, I bet it is. I bet it's within the next... Is it is it too ambitious to say the next five years that no, I one? Don't think so. I think that yeah, I think that could happen. I don't think so. Yeah, I think that's I think that's that's extremely doable. Uh, Michael did re, re, uh, reply back hmm. funding infrastructure through the three hundred million dollar uh, at the USDA. So yes, I'm yeah, yeah, the climate smart uh, funding. Yes, I, I I'm with you now, Michael. Thank you. Yeah. John W. I'm sorry. I don't know why I cannot see the whole name of the of the people. I'm sorry. I don't know why. Uh, may I suggest that carbon markets are only ever going to take off in places like the Midwest, I states, as Rick would say, because the rate paid won't make a bump on a high value crop, and the warmer regions often are too hot to build organic matter like you all do. It should be a corn bean belt thing. Focus on that region so it doesn't get confusing well yeah i don't know if it could be that easy though because i think if you left some people out i think that would uh that would be they'd be disappointed i i i i think we can come up with a plan that would work in any region of the united states i really do i i think and it would be fair mm -hmm. it would just be lower like different different measures uh, yeah or lower measures, right yeah. Now, and, and, and here's the other thing that that I don't think we talk enough about. And I've I've asked this question to two or three folks and I'm going to ask it to you now, Sarah. Let's go over to the buyer side. I'm, I'm on I'm on carbon now. I'm back to carbon. Oh, OK, okay. <laughs> let's go to the buyer side. We don't talk about the buyer side very often. Do the buyers can they dictate what regenerative practices are going to be applied to say that I will buy a credit from a XYZ because they're doing it this way, but I won't buy it from ABC because I don't like the way they're doing their practices. Could that be a possibility? 
I mean, I think a possibility that's interesting. I mean, one, I would love to get to the point where the buyers care enough to ask and know enough to ask that question. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Right. Yeah. Um, and then two, I think it would be, I think, I mean, there might be people listening that know better, but um, I think it would be possible. Uh, and I guess the, by one, just going through different uh, companies who know different uh, platforms that know how yeah. it done, but um, that's really interesting to think about. I mean, because see what's happening now that I see, I see some companies that are tired of waiting and they have created their own regenerative program within their own company. And now they move that out to their farmer base and they're trying to educate and teach their farmers to farm within their systematic approach. Mm -hmm. So and that's where I'm coming from here. So company ABC who raise who grows widgets, I, I don't want to get anybody mentioned here, who's growing widgets is now in competition with company XYZ who's growing widgets, but they have two different regenerative programs. Mm -hmm. So, and I won't, I won't say names, but are you thinking like corporate food companies that are working yeah. with supply yeah. chains? Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, so they're growing their widgets in different ways. You mean yeah. they're regenerative widgets in different ways. Yeah. yeah. So are they both regenerative? Right now they are right. And, and you, I mean, this is the whole point, right? Like, are yeah. they, I mean, there's, I, I have views on which ones are more regenerative and which aren't, or which are going to be more successful and which aren't. Um, but right now they are like, they yeah. both are. Yeah. Until, until I guess the question is until who says they're not. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what I'm getting back to on the carbon side of the equation, because I, I truly think these two uh, uh, thinking processes are extremely parallel. Regenerative farming and and this, I, I, I've got to come up with a different term than the carbon thing, but um, they're extremely parallel. So now take that same line of thinking to the, to the equation of the buyers who need to offset their footprint in, uh, around the world mm -hmm. and they may or may not want to buy from company ABC because they don't approve the way they're doing regenerative farming. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what I'm saying here. Yeah. Or believe in that. Yeah. And believe in that strategy. Um, I mean, I guess the difference between, I want to look at those two different, um, the comparisons because the different, like in carbon, I mean, I get if, if it's getting their carbon through regenerative ag, carbon credits versus regenerative products, yeah. we can measure, I know we can't measure carbon well and it's not stable, but they, they're they basing on one measurement, which That's makes right. it so much easier, I guess, but simplified and reductive uh, to do carbon markets versus just, versus just comparing a regenerative product to regenerative product, because we don't know yet what we're measuring. So it goes back to that definition equation that is, um, yeah. But. Yeah, but I'll tell you, I could take a, a shovel or I could take a spade. And by the way, everybody listening, you better have a spade in their pickup because that's all you really need here to see what, what's going on in your fields. But you need a spade, a round ring, a hammer, and two cylinders filled with water. And you can do about five soil health tests in what I just described and you can quickly assess a a field or a system and see if they truly are regenerative and those are are repeatable and accurate every single time you do it 
So that's where we got to get to. I've always said we've got to keep this simple. And the same thing with, with regenerative. We've got to keep it simple. You've got to go up to 50,000 feet and look down and see how do we go uh, boots on the ground and how do we proof that someone truly is regenerative. And there are companies out there that are now doing soil tests that can show the differences between zero to six and six to 12 to see if in fact you're telling the truth. Mm -hmm. So see all it's all starting to, to melt in the shape here. Yeah. Yep. But it's got to stay simple. I, I think it's got to stay simple. And because it, I think, which is part of that simplification, I think. But. Yeah. I mean, the more complex it gets, the, the, the more, or I don't know how I want to say it, but the more complex it gets, the I think the less players are going to have that want are going to want to play because mm -hmm. they're not going to understand it. Yeah, and honestly, I think that gets to what Michael just put in the the chat there too, which is uh, I hope you don't mind me jumping to that. No, but the crux, the, the crux of the definition of regenerative greenwashing is fast rolling uh, in the door, just yeah. like sustainable. And so yeah. there's that balance between there. Ha there's like complexity out of necessity because there because of the regionality of it, for example. Um, yeah. But there's also and we don't want if we're too re reductive, it's too easy to greenwash. Like it's that balance. We have to find that fine line between it. Yeah. Well, I hope we haven't strayed too far off, but, <laughs> but our, okay. So, so Sarah, do you, do you seek, do you go and seek this philanthropic money, the green money? I mean, are you trying to pull this in or, or have you established your position here in this market that folks now know who you are and are contacting you? Uh, I don't think enough people know who RFSI is um, or even Acres, like would love the whole world to know who all of us are, including yeah. uh, Clark. Um, but um, what we do is we're we're out there just saying this is an opportunity and we want all types of capital to come in. So if we can knock on their door. And I think if you look at anybody who's investing in agriculture at large, regenerative is on their mind now. They're thinking yeah. about it. Okay. Oh, yeah. What we want to, we want to get to the step where a lot of those investors are saying, no, I, I need to now think about, should my investments be going this direction? Should capital be flowing here? Um, and if it is, we want them to learn from us where they should be investing versus going to a conventional uh, somebody who's already investing there and who might not have understand the intricacies yeah. of how to invest in the space. So, yeah, that's important. Um, you know, I, I don't know a lot. Of, I mean, I know who BlackRock is. I don't know, you know, if, if they're a reputable company or people like, I don't know these things, but I do know they've got two huge regenerative funds. Last I knew they were over 500 million. They're probably 750 million plus now. I mean, that's, that's big money in, 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 a, in a fund. And this is from a company who you would think is mainstream, wouldn't, Wall Street wouldn't give a hoot about what's going on out in, in uh, uh, Acre USA, you know. So it's, it's big. It's on everybody's radar, like you say. Yeah. I mean, the last I knew, um, if you take the regenerative industry and add it all up, the last I knew was about $130 trillion. It's big. Wow. wow. Yeah, that's big. It's big. Yeah. And I think, what did what is the data that I shared? Um, 
or, or if anybody's read the soil wealth report to, uh, in 2020, which is it's going to take uh, $700 billion in investment to build the regenerative industry. So we're not there yet. It's 130 right now. But yeah. the, their findings said that the net um, returns would be $10 trillion. So that's that starter number we look at and say, this is the space you want to be in. There's huge opportunity. Um, and you're not saying it's just an extractive industry where we want to extract the capital and the value out of it. But simultaneously, if you put your capital here, you can get you can get returns at some level and you can create all this impact uh, for with human nutrition, ecology, climate and so forth. Right. Right. Ethan's got a comment. Have you seen Matt Powers, his books on or work? I have not. How do we promote great key players who make metaphors for easy understanding? How do we simplify microbiology, the the molders chart and key factors to our equations as farmers slash gardeners? I don't know, Matt Powers. Sounds like he's he could be. I think you're saying we apply his uh, strategies to our sector, which sounds interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who that is, but I think based for I mean overlook that. But how how do you how do you promote uh, key players and how do you keep the the message rolling? I guess is basically what Ethan's trying to ask there. So what do you think about that? Yeah, for easy understanding, uh, I I struggle with the easy understanding part, but I think that's what you're getting at with the question. Uh, I mean, that's what what we're trying to do in our small corner is promote who are the who are the investors that we think are investing and funding with integrity, and that's investors and philanthropy. Um, and on the acre side, same thing. Who are the farmers that are actually going out doing the work and showing us it's possible? Um, I mean. That's what we do is put people on platforms and try to make sure that they get out there. This is what Rick's doing with this podcast is making sure that like we get that out there. Uh, I think the key, the crux of your question, Ethan, is how do we do that for easy understanding for the consumer or the people who aren't in the space right now so that they will then come into the space and we can grow. Mm. His book, Regenerative Soil, The Science and Solutions. Yeah. I'm going to copy and paste that one, Ethan. Thank you. Um, Oh, yeah, I'm not I'm not familiar with that. And by the way, now that we're talking about acres has a huge library of books. It's huge. And you, you guys are always putting promotions out. You've got books of the week. You've got all these things going on. There are books in there from anything and everything gardening to raising grapes to raising cucumbers. It's all it's all there somewhere. Um, and, and and you know what a lot of the authors you have speak at your events and then they'll set i've seen them they'll set up times for signing and i mean it's it's amazing the the time and effort that goes into all this yeah thank you um thank you for uh adding that in my team's gonna say like why didn't you say that sarah so thank you you covered my bum there um yeah we have our event which uh, rick will be at on december um 5th through 9th um but uh i think we have a black friday sale coming up here so uh, acresusa.com tons of books like literally the library for ecological regenerative agriculture and anything you can think of so um not to be too sales pitchy here but yeah it's it's just a resource where i think people don't even know how many books exist on the topic and they're there yeah it's incredible I was on your website about a month ago and I ordered three books and they came within a week and it's 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 crazy that what what you have in inventory it really is well I'll shout out to Jessica I mean Jessica Rebecca and Chad for that stuff that's great Ed's come back with how many subscribers does acres have do you know uh digitally or uh 
print wise, we have print and digital. So, I mean, we're well over combined. We're, we're well over, I think the uh, 25 to 30,000. So that's good. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ethan's coming back. Matt powers is one of my teachers and had worked with Elaine Ingham, who is now partnered with Peter McCoy. Okay. Yeah. That helps, that helps a bunch. Uh, Elaine's doing great stuff. Uh, we've had her on. Oh my gosh, she she blew my mind. Uh, the things that she's doing and the things that she said <laughs> she can do uh, is crazy. Uh, I I am truly uh, going to try to take one of her classes and and get deep into it because oh my gosh, the the soil food web. But that that's a whole nother that's a whole nother deal. Um, so, so Sarah, what, what have we missed here? I mean, what, what projects are you working on right now that you can, I don't know what you can and can't talk about, uh, how, who, who are you bringing to the table now? What, what are you thinking about? Yeah. Uh, thank you for asking that. So big project right now is that, uh, event that's in two weeks, but, um, outside of that, thinking about RFSI, uh, we came out of our event, uh, which was last month. Uh, really working on how we start filling those gaps that I was talking about earlier. So there's mm -hmm. gaps in understanding specifically between farmers and funders. And so um, starting to think about what, what services we can provide to um, uh, familiarize uh, the farming and, and what we call solution builder community with the ecosystem of funders that exist right now. And then vice versa, we continue to try to uh, educate the farmer, I mean, the funders on um, the yeah. ecosystem exists for solution builders. Uh, one thing we did just launch uh, is a um, funder directory. So it's free on our website. It's rfsi-forum.com. And it is, we're trying to get all the funders um, that are funding at the regenerative uh, food system space into one place so that if you're starting to just think about like, I need funding or want to know who's started, who funds the space, you can go there and search it. Um, you can search for different types of capital, equity, um, debt, uh, philanthropy, and different um, regions. Uh, so we have about 65 funders there, I think right now, but we're going to keep building that. And so that's going to be that free database. Oh, that's that awesome. That's awesome. So you could go in, query the database, and, and try to figure out who you need to get in contact with. That's a great idea. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, that allows us also to get to know our funders so that we can better curate that connection sure. between the, the people who are looking for capital and who have it. So, I mean, I'm sure you always have this. There's, there's that, there's this, there's the five or 10 that's the same every time, right? You got the, the same, the same folks show up for, I mean, like the Walton Foundation, they're very philanthropic. <laughs> um, and I'm sure there's others that I don't even aren't, aren't aware of, mm -hmm. but it just seems like the, the, the stock market has done well, uh, the economy has done well, and it just seems like there's a lot of wealth out there trying to figure out where to park some of this money. 100%. Yeah, that's that's how we feel, too. And it's not just philanthropic, but there that is a huge part of it. But there's more and more folks just saying, like, this is the space we can. So so our goal really is to just say, how can we capture some of that in the regenerative ag space yeah. and help move that this space forward with capital? Because we know it can unlock some of the barriers that that exist. Well, that's great. I, and I, I am a huge proponent of education. Uh, we have trainings on our farm every year. I think this is critical, um, you know. You've got to train the, the trainer, so to speak, so that when that farmer makes contact, they, they know what they're talking about and that farmer feels good about what they're hearing. Uh, um, 
So education is so important. So I hope you've got that group of what I call green money that wants to get some kind of an education platform established and and not only the education, but then the support platform after that education is, is over. So how do we use that education and, and yes. put it to work in the space? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, Driscoll Fruit Company said this year at SXSW Food for Our Future, they have six to eight years of topsoil left on their farms before they can't grow any more fruit in North America. Whoa, this is crazy. We have the time to regeneratively resource capital land regions and communities. Tax incentives will be necessary, but the education and research for management of ecology is still needed. We only understand less than 2% of the bacterial world that is in the soil. That is, that is, uh, that is so true. And that is from Ethan again. Thank you, Ethan, for joining us this evening. That is, um, that's perplexing if Driscoll's only has six to eight years of topsoil left. That's insane. That's sad. Now, I haven't kept track. I feel like they have been saying that they're doing some stuff. I'd have to look back at what partnerships they have, what they're doing. Obviously, not enough, but I'll look into that. Well, I, Driscoll's has those wonderful raspberries that, that I like to eat. And, and wow, there's not going to be much, 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 that's not like there's going to be much soil left. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not as doomsday as this, but like with that comment, I'm like, wow, maybe I should be like, is it going to get to the point where the consumers can't get their raspberries off their shelf be, in, before they start saying, hey, maybe we should have thought about this regenerative thing, or maybe we should learn more about it. Yeah. Know. And, you know, there there are wake up calls. I mean, the um, the Colorado River folks decided they were going to reduce the the amount of water that everyone gets downstream by, I think, 15 percent. Mm -hmm. That's going to that's going to be a big deal Going to change things. Yeah, that's going to change a lot. Yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, Central Valley in California is going to run They're They're running low on water. Uh, this is going to become a serious, um, and, and, you know, you know, Sarah, when we were, the event you're referring to, uh, a, last month was in Spokane and, and that area is in what's called the Columbia river basin. And those farmers there were telling me that the, the folks that are no longer going to be able to raise crops in California are going out. And they're one of the stops they're stopping at to help pick up the load of, of raising some of these fruits and, and vegetables that they're no longer going to be able to raise in California. So they're going to grow up in Washington? Yeah. So with that, with the water issue, I wonder, like, is there enough connection? I mean, we know, and, and some of those farmers we spoke to up there were saying, like, because of the way we take care of our soil and and, and our regenerative practices, I can retain more water and I'm able to grow more. Yeah. Like, is that connection there? Do you think for for like the Driscolls of the world and other farmers I in California? So. Say, like, I I don't know how I don't know their system. I got to know how they they're raising their rat. But uh, aren't raspberries grown on a on a on a bush or a, or a tree that's permanent? You don't replant every year. So why in the world you can't have cover crops growing in between their, I don't know why, but again, I don't have all the information to make that, make that statement, but uh, surely uh, something could be done. Um, again, back to an acres event that I spoke at in Sacramento this summer, it was all 
fruit and tree growers, and they were figuring out how to raise cover crops in between yeah. those fruit trees. Yeah, that was so, cool. Yeah. Um, let's see, Lude Mila saying, Graham, uh, again, I apologize, I don't know the name, Graham Sate mm -hmm. consulted Driscoll on organic strawberries. Okay, I, I don't know. Um, Ethan is asking, can Arizona ever water their crops? Are they still in extreme drought conditions? Yeah, Arizona is in, ext in extreme drought, but they seem to be able to, to, to uh, irrigate their crops. It seems to happen every day out here. Mm -hmm. I don't know where the water's coming from. Yeah, where's that coming from? Um, and Michael is back. I think, fun, or I think finding the effective financial leverage point in the farm production uh, University of Illinois crop cost data shows conventional profitability is at best $50 an acre. Few farmers are going to consider transition unless we have that key grant loan, et cetera, to support the hope versus fear. That's exactly mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. um, change is hard. And I don't like that idea of a carrot out there because that always doesn't promote the best uh, intentions. I would like to try it to do the other way around. I would have, and I again, try, I don't know if you can pull this off. I would have a small incentive early and the longer you stay, your incentive gets bigger. And that's the incentive for you to continue on with the program. And then if you really wanna put teeth in it, and if you bail out early, you owe the money back that, that was given to you. Now that- Twist right there. That would be, you'd have nobody sign up then. Because, I was going to say, now now talking about de-risking the transition and they're like, well, maybe not. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I will I say, we. I mean, I think when you said carrot, you meant like the just kind of, I think you mean capital, uh, just the fruit. Yeah. And so it is interesting that you say that because I've been thinking more and more about this role of philanthropic capital de-risk that early stage transition. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. So it's kind of counter to that. Like, I'm like, yes, bring the carrot on. So people will do it, but you want to keep them doing it. But I'll go back to, and I probably won't articulate it well enough, but the, one of the very first questions you asked, which is um, you have a, a farmer that wants to transition, but that three-year period is too um, too difficult or too risky for them, um, too daunting. And so um, I know you've probably heard of them, but others maybe have, have you heard of mad, mad agriculture and the program with their perennial fund, which yeah really the way they're piecing it together is, you know, debt, I believe it's debt and you have a lower return, lo lower payback rate when it's, you're in that risky period of transition. But then they started pairing it too with trying to match these farmers products with, with markets as well. So they're starting to, we have these uh, financial instruments starting to think about not just how do we finance and de-risk the capital, but how do we de-risk the entire transition by offer addressing some of the other barriers, which is what's my art, my market for my product. If I change, like I need a guaranteed market. So um, there's a lot of opportunity to be creative very creative with this. Yeah, Phil's doing a good job there. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. You get creative what you can what you can come up with. So I applaud everyone in this arena. Um, is saying I've been certified again for twenty years. Congratulations. Tough yeah. transition. Someone told me if I was going for the money, I might as well stay conventional. Good advice. Uh, it's hard. There's no doubt about it. It's very, very difficult. But I think when you look down uh, the human health aspect, um, we have eliminated those caustic chemicals and insects.
insecticides and herbicides that are harmful to the human body, they are no longer on our farm. So um, I value that extremely high. And yes, you're, I'm not going to disagree with what you just said, but it is difficult, but I'm going to do, I'm going to stay the course and we're going to, we're going to keep it as healthy as we possibly can. Yeah, we need, it's interesting you say that, like, thank goodness for farmers like Rodney and for Rick (laughs) who are doing that. But when are we going to get like, say the healthcare system to fund some of this or add, add some value for the farmer who's again, taking on the risk and taking on the financial burden of producing and getting those chemicals out of our system. It's encouraging, but but I think. Yeah, we need to try if they, if the mainstream medical industry would try to figure out how to solve what's wrong with you rather than giving you just band-aids to uh to mask the symptoms then we might get to the core solution which is the soil you're not going to be healthy unless the soil is healthy and then we can start to bring down the huge cost of the medical uh, side of the equation right so much value there but a lot of work again and complexity Um, de-risk the start is great. What I, I, what I see as an effective tool. Yeah, that's from Michael. We've got John from California here in California. We will run out of water before we run out of soil. It's the wasteful use of water by many farmers that is killing us. Some of us twice the water for the same crop. Yeah. Or twice or some use twice the water for the same crop. Yeah. It's just, it just seems to be negligence a little bit in my in opinion. my viewpoint. But again, I don't have all the details. I don't know what exactly is going on. So um, here we go. Rodney's coming back. December twenty twenty, diagnosed with AML leukemia. First question, doctor asked: Have you ever been around chemicals? Yep. Yeah. So I mean, hey, Rodney, where are you from, please? What state are you from? If you don't mind coming back, see what Rodney comes back with. Well, while we're waiting on Rodney to come back, uh, Sarah, I want to be respectful of your, uh, used to do all my own spray in New York. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, how would you like to end it this evening? What, give us the hope, you know, tell us it's all going to, it's all going to be okay. What do, what do you think? What do you think? I don't know if the audience is going to like uh, believe us at this point, but um, I think they will actually because they're here and listening. Um, I think my hope is that when I came over from working very much in the conventional and agribusiness space to working in the more regenerative space, ecological space, uh, the stark difference in collaboration it was huge. It was immense. Mm-hmm. So. The collaboration that's going on in this system to make sure that we build this is so powerful. And I don't know that everybody knows that and feels it. Like I still feel it. And so I think um, I think making sure we continue to leverage those collaborative relationships, I think we can get a lot accomplished here that we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I, I think I, I think you're right. I didn't mean to be doom and gloom here this evening, oh, but I was too. It's okay. There's just so much that we that needs to be done. The more you think about it. And then you think, oh, my gosh, we got to think about this. And then we got to think it's going to take some some real organization and we can do it. We can do it. Yeah, we can. Uh, Ethan here is saying thank you again, Rick, for your time today. Read this for yourselves as amazing hosts, please. For Elaine's courses, 
I believe one class she donated was never purchased at an auction in San Marcos for $1,000 that may still be available. Sarah, feel free to contact me this week or next to discuss South by Southwest. Uh, you know what that means? I know what South by Southwest is, so I'll follow up with Ethan for sure. Okay, if, if you want to uh, uh, write there's his phone number and uh, 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 an email, guillengardens at gmail.com. Got it. Thank you, Ethan. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Um, Sarah, thank you for being on the scene. I, I think what see again, that's when I started this, you are the person that's going to match the, the people together and it's going to make sure that that the funding is there and we can get the ball rolling. So thank you for what you're doing. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, well, thank you. I'll do my best. And um, thank you for having me. This was a blast. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. You have a great holiday. And by the way, folks, uh, next Thursday is, is Thanksgiving. So be. I hope you can all be with your families. The podcast will not be doing an episode that day. So we will see you in a couple of weeks. So thank you, Sarah, for being with us. Everyone have a great holiday. Bye-bye.